Welcome, friends, to the Earl Dex Pokemon Podcast, a podcast that asks, if this Pokemon were real, where might I find it in the real world? What would its moveset and ability be in the wild? Does its data even make sense? I am your host, Geo, and in answering these questions, we'll be discussing real-life plants, animals, myths, legends, people, things, and even foods that inspired the Pokemon we know and love. It should be noted that we will be using data coming from the core series of games almost exclusively, venturing into the anime, spin-off games, or manga only when absolutely necessary to fill in some blanks, if at all. For our first episode, it only makes sense to start with the Pokemon that is number 1, 2, and 3 in the decks, and in our hearts. Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, and Venusaur. Despite literally being the number one Pokemon, Bulbasaur and its evolutionary line tend to get a bit of a bum rap. Bulbasaur is presently the butt of a cruel internet meme, stating that some people like Squirtle the best, others think Charmander's best, but deep down, we all know that, dot dot dot, and then instead of nominating Bulbasaur as the best, the meme makes some unrelated claim, like pineapple goes best on pizza. So tasty! While this is a joke created by the internet community at large, Venusaur also got the short end of the vine when Pokemon was released in the United States as red and blue versions, featuring Charizard and Blastoise on the cover art, instead of the red and green versions featuring Charizard and Venusaur that were originally released in Japan. The reasoning for this has been that the blue version was released in Japan as an updated version of the games, and they felt it was best to release red and blue internationally to indicate that the international versions were the most up-to-date. As a result, Venusaur would have to wait until Generation 3's Fire Red and Leaf Green to get its pretty face on the cover of an international Pokemon game. Despite this, being the harbinger of nostalgia keeps the Bulbasaur line ever-present in the Pokemon community's collective imagination, as the original trio of Bulbasaur, Squirtle, and Charmander are by far the most easily available starter Pokemon across all generations of core series of games. To start, let's check out the Pokedex entries. Now, rather than reading all entries from Generation 1 through the present, I've created amalgamated Pokedex entries that essentially highlight the important information from each region's Pokedex. Bulbasaur, the seed Pokemon. A strange seed filled with nutrients was planted on its back at birth. The plant sprouts with this Pokemon, growing steadily larger as its body grows. It can go for days without eating a single morsel in the bulb on its back, it stores energy and uses the nutrients that are stored in the seeds on its back in order to grow. Bulbasaur can be seen napping in bright sunlight. By soaking up the sun's rays, the seed grows larger. The first thing to note about the Bulbasaur line is what makes it a Pokemon rather than just a weird real-life reptile, the plant growing on its back. Bulbasaur is called the seed Pokemon, a designation it shares with the rest of its evolutionary line, as well as the second-generation Jotonian Pokémon, Sunkern. We'll discuss Sunkern at some point down the line, I'm sure. However, Bulbasaur earns its seed Pokémon designation because of the strange seed that was planted on its back at birth. Technically, all Pokémon are hatched, not born, but we can excuse this as a relatively minor technicality. The seed was planted on its back when its life began. Something we'll find throughout several Pokedex entries is that there seems to have been some disagreement at the start about whether a Pokemon's Dex entry was specific to the individual Pokemon being catalogued, 
or to its entire species, as we're sure to see with Cubone at some point in the future. So it's hard to tell if the seed planted on its back at birth refers to the first ever Bulbasaur, or each individual Bulbasaur being hatched. As Bulbasaur seems to be bred almost exclusively in captivity and is rarely if ever seen in the wild, it seems somewhat possible that every single Bulbasaur was given a seed when it hatches, but the much more likely explanation is that the seed planted in its back refers to the first ever Bulbasaur only, and that future generations are hatched with a seed already in their back. Beyond just issues of practicality, it also makes much more sense biologically, as we'll see when we get to talking about the real-life influence for the flower on its back. Bulbasaur and its plant seed also seem to have a symbiotic relationship, as Bulbasaur can go for days without eating a single morsel, while the bulb on its back stores energy and uses the nutrients stored in its seeds to grow. This doesn't seem well thought through, as it seems unlikely that a flower could produce enough energy to not only keep itself alive, but keep the Bulbasaur host moving. It seems much more likely that there is a trade-off in responsibilities. The Bulbasaur eats what it can, and some of the energy gets converted into fruits and seeds in the bulb on its back for use later, should food become scarce. Finally, it's mentioned that Bulbasaur naps in bright sunlight to store light and grow stronger. This is a recurring behavior that we'll see across the entire evolutionary line, and is clearly the single most important aspect of Bulbasaur's well-being. Keep it in the sunlight. Ivysaur, the seed Pokemon. Exposure to sunlight adds to its strength. Sunlight also makes the bud on its back grow larger as it absorbs nutrients. When the bulb on its back grows large, it appears to lose the ability to stand on its hind legs. It gives off a pleasantly sweet aroma when it is ready to bloom into a large flower. To support its weight, Ivysaur's legs and trunk grow thick and strong. There are two main new developments in Ivysaur's evolution. One, it gives off a pleasant aroma when it's ready to bloom. And two, Ivysaur can no longer stand on its hind legs because its legs and trunk have grown thick and strong to support its weight. This implies that Bulbasaur can stand on its hind legs. Armed with this information, I looked it up, and Bulbasaur does indeed stand up on its hind legs once in the anime to hug Squirtle, which was as strange to see as it was adorable. Its legs and trunk growing strong to support its entire 28.7 pounds, or 13 kilograms, however, seems like a bit of a laugh to me. For context, a barbell without any weight on it is usually about 45 pounds, or 20 kilograms. So Ivysaur is almost half as heavy as a barbell without weights. Time to hit the gym, Ivysaur. And while I hate to sell the middle evolutionary stage short, as most people do, there's not much more to say about Ivysaur that wasn't already said about Bulbasaur and won't be better said about Venusaur. So let's move along to the big guy. Venusaur, the seed Pokemon. Venusaur's flower is said to take on vivid colors if it gets plenty of nutrition and sunlight. 
After a rainy day, the flower on its back smells stronger and attracts other Pokémon. By spreading the broad petals of the flower on its back, it catches the sun's rays and fills its body with power. The flower blooms when it is absorbing solar energy and releases a pleasant fragrance which soothes the emotions of people and those engaged in battle. It stays on the move to seek sunlight and is more powerful in the summertime. We pick up where the Ivysaur entry left off. When Ivysaur is close to blooming, it gives off a pleasant aroma, and Venusaur seems to emit this aroma more or less at will, but the scent is apparently stronger after a rainy day. It's also said to attract other Pokémon using this power, but the dex doesn't state whether it's attracting a mate, prey, or other friendly creatures. While Venusaur's sharp teeth certainly suggest that it's a predator, it seems just as likely to be using the sweet scent to reproduce, if not specifically seek out a mate. We'll clarify that point a little later on. We continue to see that Venusaur is a creature of the day, absorbing sunlight for power, and apparently in order to produce a pleasant fragrance that soothes the emotions of people and those engaged in battle. This could be a therapeutic effect, though it's hard not to look at 6 foot 7, 2 meter tall Venusaur with its powerful legs and trunk and razor sharp teeth and not think that it's going to soothe you right onto its dinner plate. Finally, the last bit of information we can glean from its dex entries is that it constantly moves to seek sunlight and is more powerful in the summertime as a result. This suggests that Venusaur must live somewhere where year-round sunshine is likely or that Venusaur exhibits migratory behavior to ensure it is constantly receiving the most amount of sun. As frogs, which Venusaur is based on, tend not to migrate, it seems safe to assume that Venusaur prefers somewhere with fairly consistent sunshine. The Earldex is generally more interested in Pokémon as they would exist in real life and in the wild, so we won't spend too much time on Mega Venusaur and Gigantamax Venusaur, which generally only exist in a battling context, but we'll give them a quick look. Mega Venusaur. In order to support its flower, which has grown larger due to Mega Evolution, its back and legs have become stronger. Gigantamax Venusaur. In battle, this Pokémon swings around two thick vines. If these vines slammed into a 10-story building, they could easily topple it. Huge amounts of pollen burst from it with the force of a volcanic eruption. Breathing in too much of the pollen can cause fainting. While there's not much to discuss with Mega Venusaur, Gigantamax Venusaur raises some interesting possibilities. A 10-story building is roughly 110 feet or 33.5 meters tall, about 30 feet or 9.2 meters taller than a Gigantamax Venusaur, as we'll see in just a moment. Using two proportionately large thick vines to topple a 110-foot tall building certainly seems feasible, especially when those vines are being wielded by a 78-foot-tall magic frog monster. While that is certainly an impressively horrific destructive force, it pales in comparison to its apparent ability to shoot huge amounts of pollen with the force of a volcanic eruption. A quick Google search tells me that volcanic eruptions can be strong enough to launch 10-ton rocks into the air. 
10 tons of pollen released into a targeted or even relatively wide area seems like it might do a bit more damage than simple fainting. Fortunately, Gigantamaxing only seems to happen in very specific and controlled environments, and when we see the absolute havoc a Gigantamaxed Venusaur can do, it is most certainly a good thing. Bulbasaur is 2 foot 4, or 0.7 meters tall, which makes it about the height of a Doberman Pinscher, yet it weighs 15.2 pounds, or 6.9 kilograms, which is slightly lighter than a beagle. Across the evolutionary line, very little in their dimensions makes any sense. However, if you were to assume that the weight being calculated is only of the Bulbasaur and excludes the flower on its back, the dimensions almost work out. They don't, but they almost do. Ivysaur is similarly ridiculous. At 3 foot 3, or 1 meter tall, it's as tall as a Saint Bernard, yet only as heavy as a Border Collie. And if you'll recall, its legs and trunk are supposed to have grown strong from having to support all 28.7 pounds, or 13 kilograms, of its own weight. Venusaur is certainly imposing at 6 foot 7, or 2 meters tall, the same height as former NBA player Joe Johnson. And strangely, 20 pounds lighter than him, at only 220 pounds, or 100 kilograms. I think if you were to tell Joe Johnson he's heavier than a Venusaur, he might be upset with you. Interestingly, Venusaur has the exact same dimensions as the Hoanese Pokemon Tropius, which looks much slimmer and more reasonably fitting of those dimensions. If you ask me, Venusaur needs to learn to love itself. Come clean, Venusaur. Share your real weight with us. You are beautiful just as Arceus made you. Mega Venusaur is by far the one that makes the most sense, while still probably not being feasible. At 7 foot 10, or 2.4 meters tall, it's about a foot taller than an emu, and at 342.8 pounds, or 155.5 kilograms, it's as heavy as an adult female grizzly bear. <laughs> the only problem here is that while these dimensions sound much better than the laughable Ivysaur stats, Mega Venusaur becomes so girthy, it takes on the ability Thick Fat. So close, but most creatures that look like Mega Venusaur and are that tall are going to be quite a bit heavier than 342.8 pounds. Gigantamax Venusaur is the only one that actually makes sense. Though that's only because there's no recorded weight. I suppose it would break most scales it tried to stand on. It stands proud at 78 foot 9, or 24 meters tall, which makes it about 3 feet taller, or 1 meter taller, than the Rockefeller Plaza Christmas tree in New York City. We've talked a lot about what the video games have to say about the Bulbasaur evolutionary line, but now it's time to check out Bulbasaur's influences in real life. We've already mentioned that the Bulbasaur line is based on frogs. In an interview with the creators of Pokemon Red and Green, Ken Sugimori talks about how the original starter Pokemon were modeled after frogs, lizards, and baby turtles, because these are the kinds of real-life pets children have, and therefore have a certain resonance with children picking up the games for the first time. Squirtle and Charmander are the turtles and lizards, respectively, so Bulbasaur is modeled after a frog, despite its dinosaurish look and name. 
Interestingly, in 2017, a fossil found in South Africa was actually named Bulbasaurus, but it appears to have been named for its bulbous nose rather than for the Pokemon. Still, in a tweet, Christian Kammerer stated that while it wasn't intentionally named for Bulbasaur, quote, if one wished to read between the lines concerning certain similarities, I wouldn't stop them, end quote. Bulbapedia lists an extinct prehistoric frog called Beelzebuffo, the common toad, and the Colorado River toad as being visually similar to Bulbasaur and Venusaur. But frankly, putting them up against each other, it was hard to see much parallels beyond being frog type and shape, even if Beelzebuffo comes pretty close. Add to that that the dex entries don't describe very many behaviors shared with real-world frogs, and it gets even harder to find a real-world equivalent for the Bulbasaur line. After all, most frogs are nocturnal, and as amphibians, prefer to stay near water almost uniformly. Of course, none of them have a giant flower on their back, so maybe that's where we should focus our attention instead. With Venusaur being 6'7", you might be forgiven for thinking the flower on its back is unreasonably large, and that there's no real-life flower that could possibly be so big. While math isn't my strong suit, just eyeballing it, the flower on Venusaur's back must be nearly 5 feet in diameter, and the largest real-life flower ever recorded is a Rafflesia flower in Indonesia in 2019. At 120 centimeters, just under 4 feet in diameter, even the largest flower in the real world would look a bit small on Venusaur's back, but seeing as how they literally don't get any bigger than that, and combined with some interesting facts and parallels with Venusaur's flower and the Rafflesia flower, it seems like an almost perfect matchup. The Rafflesia flower goes by many names, most of which translate into English as some variation stating how big it is, giant Rafflesia, the great flower, the monster flower, and so on. However, one of its names, the corpse flower, supposedly comes from the foul smell this flower gives off, like that of rotting flesh. Strangely, this was a case of you can't believe everything you read on the internet run amok. While it's true that the Rafflesia is known for smelling like decaying flesh to attract flies and other insects that aid in pollination, it was never known as the corpse flower until 2003, when American students mistakenly stated that the Rafflesia was called the corpse flower by the locals, though the name corpse flower refers to a completely different species of foul-smelling flower called Titan Arum. Unfortunately, this mistake was copied to Wikipedia uncorrected for over a decade, leading to many news articles also erroneously referring to the Rafflesia plant as the corpse flower. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. While Venusaur's flower is said to smell pleasant, and even soothing, rather than foul, both the real-world Rafflesia and Venusaur's flower use their scents in order to attract other creatures. The Rafflesia attracts insects that usually congregate around dead flesh in order to get the insects to help them pollinate, and it seems possible that Venusaur is not so different. While this podcast in general can be seen as an exercise in thinking way too hard about something that doesn't matter, even I didn't think checking a Pokemon's gender ratio distribution in the video games would have any bearing on this podcast. But Venusaur proved me wrong. The Bulbasaur line has a gender ratio of 87.5% male to 12.5% female, meaning that for every seven male Bulbasaur, there is only one female Bulbasaur hatched. 
This may seem like a weird distinction to make, but the gender ratio of some Rafflesia flowers seems to be similarly skewed. In at least one species of Rafflesia flower, the Rafflesia lobata, there seems to be nine male flowers for every one female flower. The female flowers make up for this little discrepancy through something called a gamospermy, which basically means that rather than wait to be pollinated by a male flower to create seeds for a new flower, they can produce their own seeds and essentially clone themselves rather than having to wait and hope that an insect covered in pollen comes along. Fine. I'll do it myself. Admittedly, Venusaur isn't just a flower, and so even in the magical world of Pokemon, it seems unlikely that you could breed an entire flower and frog monster through a Gamaspermy. But the parallels between the Bulbasaur lines and the Rafflesia's gender ratios were just too cool not to talk about. We've already seen that between its size and its smell, the Rafflesia isn't exactly the kind of flower you want to put in a vase on your dinner table, but it's actually weirder than that. The Rafflesia is a parasite, and not just any kind of parasite, it's a hollow parasite. That means that unlike other parasites which harm their hosts as part of their survival strategy, like mosquitoes, lice, or vampire bats, the Rafflesia literally can't reproduce, mature, or exist without its host. While the Bulbasaur line seems to have a much more symbiotic relationship with its flower, the Rafflesia is a parasite of a specific genus of vine called the Tetrastigma, which is itself a tree parasite, making the Rafflesia not only a hollow parasite, but a hyperparasite as well. A parasite of a parasite. Inception. Venusaur is said to emit a fragrance that soothes the emotions of humans and calms those engaged in battle. In the real world, Rafflesia doesn't do that exactly. While some species of Rafflesia are eaten in Thailand and Southeast Asia as a delicacy, others are fed to swine as fodder, and they are also harvested for use in herbalism to help with things like fevers or backaches. This certainly aligns loosely with Venusaur's capabilities, but the Rafflesia also has a third use as a key component in tinctures that serve as aphrodisiacs and performance enhancers. As the frog part of the Bulbasaur line doesn't resemble any existing frogs terribly well, in order to place Venusaur in the real world, we'll have to look at the Rafflesia flower's natural habitat, which takes us to Southeast Asia, where Rafflesia grow in the forests of Indonesia, Thailand, and Malaysia. Straddling the equator, these landmasses have an average year-round temperature of about 82 degrees Fahrenheit, or 26 degrees Celsius, inland, with that temperature changing very little year-round. Not only that, but the difference between the longest and shortest days of the year is only 48 minutes. As we've seen that one of the primary characteristics of the Bulbasaur line is its constant pursuit of sunlight, it looks like Southeast Asia, and especially the Indonesian islands, are the perfect place for them to soak up some rays. So now that we know where the Bulbasaur line would exist in our world, let's take a look at what a natural moveset and what the preferred abilities would be for the Pokemon in the wild. In order to do this, we'll have to recall what the deck says about the Pokemon, what we've learned about its real-life inspiration, and match these against all the moves that the Bulbasaur line has been able to learn through leveling up across the eight generations of core games. Bulbasaur can have one of two abilities, Overgrow, which increases the power of grass-type moves when at low HP, 
and the hidden ability Chlorophyll, which increases the Pokémon's speed in intense sunlight. Given the extreme emphasis on the Bulbasaur line's constant quest for sun, Chlorophyll is almost certain to be the more prevalent ability found on Bulbasaur in the wild. For the first move to consider, we know that Bulbasaur has a plant on its back that stores energy and nutrients for the host in its seeds. And given that Bulbasaur is classed as the seed Pokémon, it only makes sense that it should have a seed move. The options we have are Leech Seed, Seed Bomb, and Worry Seed. Worry Seed changes an opponent's ability to Insomnia, and Seed Bomb is exactly what it sounds like, throwing explosive seeds at an opponent, neither of which has much to do with storing energy for Bulbasaur, so we'll have to go with Leech Seed as Bulbasaur's first move. Leech Seed attaches itself to an opponent Pokémon and drains its health to replenish Bulbasaur's. This even has some parallels with Bulbasaur's parasitic, real-life inspiration. Bulbasaur then uses the power gained from seeds in order to grow, and for that we have two candidates, Growth or Synthesis. Growth definitely gets the edge here. Not only does Growth raise the user's attack and special attack by one stage, but those boosts are actually doubled in harsh sunlight, which is right up Bulbasaur's alley. Speaking of soaking up the sunlight, that is the third thing we know about Bulbasaur. It needs sun. Two moves come immediately to mind, Synthesis and Solar Beam, and we think Bulbasaur should have both. Again, we see the direct benefits for Bulbasaur's need to be in the sun, as Synthesis recovers half of a Pokémon's HP under normal conditions, but restores it by two-thirds under harsh sunlight. Similarly, while most people think of Solar Beam as being a two-turn attack that requires a turn to charge and a turn to unleash its attack, under harsh sunlight, Solar Beam attacks immediately and is one of the most devastating grass-type attacks in the game. It's easy to see why Bulbasaur loves the sun so much. Ivysaur is very similar in a lot of ways, the first of which is that it will keep the chlorophyll ability to speed it up in the sunlight, and the second is that it still needs to absorb nutrients. As Ivysaur is still growing and the flower on its back still hasn't fully bloomed, it makes sense for Ivysaur to keep Leech Seed in order to aid it in storing energy and nutrients. While we've mocked Ivysaur's supposedly strong legs and trunk a bit throughout the pod so far, we need a move that will make full use of Ivysaur's newfound strengths. The three moves most likely to help Ivysaur make use of its legs and trunk are Tackle, Takedown, and Double Edge. Tackle is probably the safest of the three moves, as Takedown and Double Edge are both moves that cause the Pokémon using them to take recoil damage. While they are both twice and three times as powerful as Tackle respectively, the recoil can be very significant. While other Pokémon with an ability like Rockhead, which negates recoil damage, might be perfectly suited to use these reckless moves, Ivysaur isn't in such a bad position to use them either, as Leech Seed allows Ivysaur to heal up some of the damage it takes. Let's fill in the last two attack spots before coming back to these moves to see how much recoil damage Ivysaur can really afford to take. Ivysaur is the first of the three to emit a pleasing aroma, specifically when it is close to evolution. We'll play a little fast and loose with that rule, however, since we're looking for ways in which Ivysaur's dex entries inform its natural moveset. Ivysaur only has the one aroma-based move, Sweet Scent which lowers an opponent's evasion in combat, and attracts wild Pokémon outside of combat. Finally, 
we have to assume that Ivysaur, living in as close to perpetual sunlight as possible, will also learn Solar Beam to make full use of its environment. So let's circle back to Tackle, Takedown, or Double Edge. With Leech Seed being Ivysaur's only healing move, we're gonna have to do some quick math here to figure out if it's worth taking that recoil damage. Leech Seed drains 1 8th of the target's HP and applies that amount as recovery to Ivysaur. Takedown deals a quarter of the damage done to an opponent as recoil damage to the user. This means that Leech Seed could potentially allow Ivysaur to recover up to half of the recoil damage it takes. Unfortunately, that's a best case scenario, and as Double Edge is even riskier to the user, we've got to throw that one out of consideration altogether. While I could see a risk taker being okay with trying out Takedown, my bet is still on Tackle, being a better long-term strategy. Venusaur continues the tradition of maintaining Chlorophyll as its best survival strategy in the wild, but as the final stage in Bulbasaur's evolution, it is no longer focused on storing energy to grow any bigger, and so will not have Leech Seed to help it out any longer. Instead, we look towards some of its other attributes, the most immediate of which is the fully in-bloom flower on its vibrant petals. Petal Dance and Petal Blizzard are the obvious moves to consider to make use of its flower in full bloom, and in order to decide which is best, we need only look at its stats. Despite being a physically imposing monster, Venusaur favors its special attack over its physical attack in combat. While the special attack, Petal Dance, is significantly stronger than Petal Blizzard and makes better use of Venusaur's special attack stat, it also lasts for two to three turns and has the unwanted effect of confusing Venusaur on its final attack. Looks like Venusaur just gets more and more reckless as it evolves. Now fully evolved, Venusaur has the ability to emit its pleasant aroma at will. So we're bringing back Sweet Scent for Venusaur as well as Solar Beam, which is almost like the Bulbasaur line signature move at this point. That leaves us with one open move slot left and no real data left to support it. In this case, I think it's best to make use of Venusaur's poison typing, which hasn't really come into play until now. Even though Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, and Venusaur are all grass poison types, they've only ever been able to learn two poison type attacks naturally, Poison Powder, and Sludge. The decision here is a difficult one to make, but ultimately, I'm going to favor Sludge. While Poison Powder seems like the more natural choice, the Rafflesia flower doesn't emit any harmful pollens or poisons that I'm aware of, and as we mentioned earlier, is not only consumed in Southeast Asia, but used for various herbal remedies. On the other hand, there are many species of frogs and toads, like the Asian giant toad, which secrete poisons known as bufotoxins, or toad venom, through the pores in their skin. While it may sound gross to imagine Venusaur sweat sludge in an opponent, there's a bit more evidence to suggest sludge as a viable attack over poison powder. Using everything we've learned about Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, and Venusaur, as well as their real-life inspirations, frogs and the Rafflesia flower, Let's put it all together and see what the Earldex entry for each of them would look like in real life. Bulbasaur, the seed Pokemon. Out in the wilds of Southeast Asia, it constantly searches for sun to make use of its chlorophyll should it need to flee from trouble. 
leech seed, growth, and synthesis are all important moves to help the hatchling Bulbasaur grow, while Solar Beam gives it a powerful offensive weapon should it find itself in a bad spot. Ivysaur, the seed Pokemon. It has grown bigger, and its trunk and legs have made it tough and formidable. The Southeast Asian sun fuels its chlorophyll ability, making it quicker whether fighting or fleeing. It uses Leech Seed to store energy for its final push into adulthood, and having grown more confident in itself, is just as likely to tackle as fire off its solar beam. As it approaches its final evolution, it begins giving off a sweet scent. Venusaur, the seed Pokemon. A fully mature Pokemon, Venusaur is no longer relying on storing energy for its next stage. More focused on protecting its young Bulbasaur, Venusaur's chlorophyll allows it to stay one step ahead of would-be predators. With its flower in full bloom, it uses Petal Dance to demolish opponents up close and Solar Beam to destroy them from afar. It uses its sweet scent at will and can also secrete a powerful bufotoxin to create poisonous sludge to defend itself should its grass-type attacks fail. And with that, our Earl Dex entry, as well as our exploration of the Bulbasaur line and the Rafflesia flower that it so closely resembles, are complete. Three down, 895 to go. In order to mix it up and keep each episode feeling fresh, we won't be doing all 898 Pokemon in numerical order. As much as some of our Generation 1-only listeners might enjoy that, there are just too many fantastic Pokemon across all generations that I would love to get to, with some of my personal favorites like Galvantula, Klefki, and Graplocked coming from Generation 5's Unova, Generation 6's Kalos, and Generation 8's Galar, respectively. So in order to avoid doing all my favorites all at once, and then forcing myself to go through the leftovers, looking at you, Dunsparce, each episode will cover a random Pokemon from each generation on rotation. So next episode, we'll be traveling to Johto and adding numbers 158, 59, and 160, Totodile, Croconaw, and Feraligator to the Earl Decks. See you then!